here we are with Hunter E, the man himself. How are we doing? I'm doing good, bro. How are you? Yeah, living the life, man. How are you finding quarantine? What's it like out there? Uh, you know, currently a little bit different than everybody else, but luckily here in Hawaii, I'm able to, um, you know, go to the beach still and I'm trying to stop going hiking and going snorkeling still. It's been nice. Your Instagram is probably the most interesting in the world. Like, mine is pretty, you know, standard. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm at work or I'm on my Xbox or something. But no, you're doing all these, like, action man style activities. How? <laughs> what is your life? <laughs> the most interesting man in the world. Yeah, you know, um, there's a couple guys that are more interesting, you know. <laughs> but I'm, last, I'm, I'm born and raised here on an island. So it's a lot different than... You know, you say in California or Florida or a couple other places that I've lived, you know. So every time I really try to manage as much as I can and be out and, you know, go swimming, go hunting, which is a lot of fun, you know, hiking in the mountains and catching your own food. It's just unreal. This is actually like a real person's life and not just like in a movie. This is crazy. Um, so a bit of context for listening at home. You, you first met uh, Roger Gracie HQ in London because you came over for a seminar with um, Boris. So, and from there, yeah. you were telling like stories about how you and your dad like started jiu-jitsu and all this kind of stuff. And it's completely crazy. So if you won't mind like telling the people listening, like how you got into jiu-jitsu and like a bit about your background. Yeah, so, you know, I have a, a little bit different story than a lot of people. I didn't really um, start jiu-jitsu. It was something kind of I've had my life, you know. I've um, My dad's in Brazil. So when I was a little kid, I my dad already, he brought jiu-jitsu actually to the island. He was the first guy to bring it here. So when I was a little kid, there was an academy in my house. And I, you know, on the mats, crawling on the mats and watching my dad train. I was watching him teach and... It got, when I got to a certain age, when I was four years old, five years old, then my class, you know? And at the time, I didn't really realize, but the only reason he said he kids class because now I'm old enough to start really training. So I had to get a little group of kids together for me to train. And um, so I've been lucky, you know, I've trained my And kind of from, you know, that young age, four or five years old training, you know, just rolling around and <laughs> learning you know but not really taking it serious but around probably i would say 12 years old that was when i kind of had to take it a little more serious you know and i started training and from then i've been training almost every day so i have some years now. so fairly recently you had your um bellator debut of all things how did that come about so obviously going from you know jiu-jitsu black belt living the island dream to you know being in a, being all mean in a cage. Where did that come from? Yeah, so I um, I'm blessed. You know, I have a couple of sponsors that help me out and believe in me. And and my main sponsor is actually Ruka. You know, RVCA, mm. and um, they have a a very big part of their brand is MMA and fighting. You know, and so I actually this past year, 2019, I decided to spend a year in California. So I went to California, 
and I rented an apartment. And during that time, you know, I, um, I was fighting some jiu-jitsu tournaments and kind of trying to find my rhythm in the, in the jiu-jitsu tournaments. I, w- I really wanted to be able to fight the, the championships last year. So I started fighting these tournaments and I started realizing that it wasn't as easy as I, you know, trying to, to get these points because these guys are tough and, you know, one tournament, you don't, you don't, you don't get enough points to qualify for the world, you know, so you have to fight a couple tournaments. So I started traveling and I started accumulating points and on one of these tournaments, I actually ended up hurting my knee a little bit. So I hurt my knee and I ended up sitting out of training jiu-jitsu for about two months because of my knee you know so during that time after about the first month of no jiu-jitsu I was like I need to stay active you know I I need to start practicing some boxing and just get my cardio up so I was in the gym and I was practicing my boxing and Muay Thai and stuff and I really kind of that fire inside of me of the competition was like I I, you know I think I want to I want to do an MMA fight you know because I've always wanted to do one but at this time when I got hurt and I was just focusing just on the, the stand-up part of it, I really realized that, yeah, I, I, I want to do this. So from about June, July, I really just focused 100% on MMA and, and strength conditioning, and I kind of took stopped training jiu-jitsu. I just wanted to strengthen my body and get strong because, you know, the, I uh, had a partial tear on my PCL. So I ended up getting an MRI, and that was kind of serious. So I was just relaxing and... Um, Lucky, you know, my I have such a good sponsor, Ruka. They got me that fight, and I was I took that opportunity, and it ended up going good. And hopefully, we can have some more of those soon. So, that was a big timeline jump. So let's break it down a bit. Where did you start training MMA? Because obviously, going from a gi background and a bit of boxing, where did you learn to put it all together? Who was your main kind of like influence in that? Like to help you? Uh, I, you know what, I am. Um, that was a big timeline jump, but it happened so quick, you know, in, in from June, July to December, it was like, I just trained every day and I got that fight and I was just laser focused on it. But I was lucky. I was at Ruka and I had a couple of very good trainers. The, my main trainer who spent honestly more than six months with me was um, Nathan Carnage Corbett. He's a 11 time world champion Muay Thai. And um, he spent so much time with me, not just teaching me Muay Thai, but you know, in the gym with me and helping me work out, teaching me about lifting weights and mindset and coaching me. And just, um, he was somebody with a huge influence on me. And if, if you've never heard of him, you really need to check him out because they call him carnage because he would go inside there and just knock people out with elbows. You know, he's a very dangerous guy. So I was lucky enough. I got to learn some Muay Thai from him. And, um, I also was training with, some jiu-jitsu with master alan goyce who fought in pride you know ufc before he fought dan henderson sakuraba um legend uh and i was also training a lot with uh rafael tozanes yeah the U- oh, former wow, ufc they, lightweight champion all the name drops all the names yeah drops. wow so, you know a couple of good ones just a, just a couple of good guys <laughs> just, just a but i'm very lucky you know yeah i'm very lucky i've I just surrounded by good people and very grateful so with that big fight then so talk me through a few different things so obviously you've competed in jiu-jitsu a lot but how was your first mma fight like regards to mindset and the changing rooms because obviously it's a very different atmosphere from this big crowded jiu-jitsu tournament to you know you're in the backstage with your coaches and you're just you know really 
tense. You can feel the yeah. tension building. What were you like? What, how did you deal with all that? Yeah, you know what? It, it's a very different atmosphere, especially because um, I've never done it before. I've never done an MMA fight. Um, I consider myself, you know, an athlete. I've fought jiu-jitsu tournaments at the highest level. I, I've traveled to compete. You know, I fought the Abu Dhabi. I fought, in, you know, the World Championships. I traveled all across the United States. So I, I kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm able to deal with the nerves a little bit. You know, of course, it's a whole other thing fighting for the whole world to see, you know, Bellator, I was on live TV, I was on TV, I was on internet, you know, a lot of my, I fought in my hometown in front of my whole family, everyone was there, my mom, my grandma was there, you know, my dad was there in my corner, so there was a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I feel like jiu-jitsu um, really got me ready for that, because I was very confident going into the fight, I know I was training, I was um, very well trained, I took all a lot of the I took all the steps necessary to make myself ready. You know, I made all the sacrifices and um, I was just very grateful that everything went as planned, you know. Well, this is it as well. Did you have much of a weight cut? Um, you know what happened? The fight was supposed to be at 170 and I was actually going into the fight at 195 pounds. I was like eating a lot of food, lifting weights a lot and I was like a big weight cut. And I was cutting weight and about, I was 185 pounds. I cut, you know, 10 pounds about like three weeks before the fight. And I was starting to, a month before the fight. And the guy I was supposed to fight, they actually changed them. So they took the guy out and they put another guy in. And when they put another guy in, they made the fight at a catch weight at 180 pounds. So that really made it a lot easier for me because the week of the fight, I was like 180. 88 pounds, 185 pounds, because I didn't really have to worry about the, the diet too much. And I just, the night before, I just went in the sauna, sauna, lost the weight, and woke up in the morning. I ended up weighing in at 178 pounds. And it was it was very easy for me, you know. I feel like my next one, if I do a very good diet, I'll be able to make 170. Now, when you were in that fight, was it temptation to try and strike as such? Because obviously you've come into this wanting an MMA fight, not a jiu-jitsu match. And although you were, you know, jiu-jitsu black belt and, I don't know, boxing blue belt for argument's sake, the temptation to kind of, you know... Yeah, yeah, honestly, let's say, let's say white belt, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, yeah, let's be totally honest with you. Um, where I come from here in Hawaii, it's a very big fighting culture. And um, I grew up a son of a jiu-jitsu black belt and growing up with this in the back of my mind, you know, of course my base is jiu-jitsu and I'm going to grapple but at the same time here in Hawaii people people would like in a street fight for example, somebody would get in a fight and they would stand them up, you know what I mean? People really, they like to see people stand up and fight. So growing up here I kind of had this sense inside of me that I really, um, you know, like 16 I took my first kickboxing, kickboxing classes and I learned how to punch and kick a little bit and um, this past year, I've been practicing a lot of punching and kicking. So it, when you start practicing, it makes you feel like you want to do it. But the reality is I'm not that good at it. You know what I mean? So I know, I know how good I am at jiu-jitsu, and I know how much better I, I was than my opponent because he actually was a, like a state champion kickboxer. He was a professional kickboxer. He's already had professional kickboxing fights. And the guy actually, he had like 11 amateur fights. 
I, he, he fought a couple of my friends from and beat him before. And the guy was a tough guy. He wasn't a scrub. And he scrub. actually fought Hobson Gracie. <laughs> so Hobson Gracie fought that guy the year before in Bellator. And Hobson fought him to the third round and ended up like having a, a fight with the guy. The guy dropped Hobson. Um, Hobson was, had a hard time taking him down. It was a tough fight. So when I fought him, I, I watched his videos and I kind of studied. And like, I'm going to, I feel like nobody knows about my game plan. So they're going to think that I'm going to be kind of um, scared and timid. You know, they're going to think I don't really know too much stand up. So I felt if I kind of put the pressure on him and made him feel like I, I'm going to chase him a little bit with the stand up, then he's going to try punch me. And when he tries to punch me, I'm going to be able to change the levels and shoot for the takedown. And my game plan worked, you know, I, I put the pressure on him. I made him think that I wanted to strike with him because in reality, I didn't want to strike. You know, I just wanted to make him think I did. And that was able to open up the takedown. So that was good. I mean, it's almost the old school striker versus grappler kind of thing. Like, you don't seem to get as much as that anymore. But no, that was pretty much old school UFC. Of, totally. You know, Hoist Grace would be proud. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, honestly, you know what? And, and that's something that I've noticed a lot in the last couple of years because I've been around a lot of these guys that fight in MMA and, and whatnot, and I've been training at these gyms. And, and last year, I, I had the opportunity to, to go train at, um, you know, I went to Black House MMA, and I went to King's MMA, and, and I got to train at these places with these guys. And, and, I, and I, I've, I've been to Black Zillions younger, you know, around like 2012 when, when it was still around. And I got to train with these guys before, and I really noticed how a lot of these people, they're fighting MMA nowadays. And they're like a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, you know? They're not that, like, purple belt, maybe. Like, guys that are really good in the UFC are like a purple belt, blue belt. Or maybe even a white belt. There's some guys in the UFC that don't even know jiu-jitsu. So it's really crazy that, you know, there's guys out there that don't know jiu-jitsu. And I feel like with my level of jiu-jitsu, I can turn it into a scramble with a lot of guys. And, and I can – they're not going to be able to keep up, you know? So I – I really want to, I just need to keep up with the stand-up and, and strengthen my stand-up and my wrestling to be able to tie it all together. But, yeah, that last fight went good. I just got to get some more on the belt now. I mean, something you highlighted there is really important. It's not just the individual skills, it's putting it together. Because the thing to really, you seem to really appreciate as well, is it's not, you know, a, a direct discipline fight. It's MMA. You need to be able to put it together. You need to be able to be good at all Totally. Totally. Like, even if you're a blue belt in yeah. some areas, you need to be able to apply it in a certain level. Like, you know, <laughs> Demetrius Johnson exactly. was a blue belt or something apparently, but you know how his MMA is and how he can merge things all together. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's, that's such a good example, you know, Demetrius Johnson where, you know, he's a black belt in wrestling, you know what I mean? Like he's a black belt in striking, but Maybe his jiu-jitsu is a blue belt, you'd say. You know? But in reality, that guy's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, too. That guy is unreal. You just put a belt on him. But there's, like, for me, I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are. But I, I also know that to be able to do my strengths, I have to blend it together, you know. So I need to be practicing my striking. That's why in my fight, I didn't go out there and just try to take the guy down. I really tried to, to strike with him. I, I hit him a couple times. I made him think that I was going to hit him again, and then I went for the takedown. And that's something that for my next fight, maybe I, I'm going to have to strike a little bit more just because now the guy's going to be the takedown. You know, he's going to think I'm going to take it down. So now instead of going for the takedown right away, I'm going to hit him again, you know. 
So who like I really need to just keep the striking going because for me, I don't want to use the striking to get to like a you know a, a gut fight to where I'm, I'm stretching with the guy and getting hit and I'm hitting him, he's hitting me. I would rather use the striking. I don't know what happened there, but are you back? Yeah, Frick, I'm sorry, bro. That's all good. Still good. Are we good? All good. So where yeah, were so we? For striking? I was, I was saying, yeah. I, yeah, I was saying about the striking. I, I, w I don't want to use the striking to um, get into a gunfight, you know? I would rather use the striking to use my jiu-jitsu, which is my strength. And I see a lot of these guys kind of plan, you know, when they start learning striking, they start using it. Because they, they like to strike, you know, and it feels good to hit somebody. To be honest, it felt so good to punch the guy in the face, you know. But in reality, I have to get back to know what my, my strengths are. So that's it. I mean, this is where it gets really interesting as well. Because this went from uh, sort of pastime whilst you were, you know, recovering from a jiu-jitsu injury. And this was like an itch you needed to scratch. And now after you've had that fight, it's not just the one. It's now, okay, now what? Okay, now what? It's gonna keep going. Yeah, you know, like I'm gonna be totally honest with you. For me, as a little, like as a little kid, I would see these guys like legends in jiu-jitsu. You know, Murillo Bustamante. Uh, you know, Hicks and Gracie, for example. Just these guys that guys, guys, Henzo Gracie. Like we can just keep going on. Ricardo Arona, guys that were, and and now you have guys like Adolfo Vieira and you know Damian Maya, Gilbert Durino. Just these guys that were at the highest level of jiu-jitsu and wanted to represent jiu-jitsu at the highest level on the next stage, which is MMA, you know, and showed that jiu-jitsu is a superior martial art. Of course, nowadays, you, everyone knows jiu-jitsu, but, you know, like, that for me was something that, as a kid, I wanted to do too. Like, I wanted to be like, I wanted, I did that. I went and represented jiu-jitsu. I defended the flag. And I, I can be able to say that I did it, you know. And now that I did it, I'll be totally honest, I have that itch. Like, I need more. I didn't, I didn't do it for me. That's not enough. I, I need to prove myself more. I would like to get some bigger fights. And um, hopefully when this coronavirus thing mellows out, I'll be able to get back on one of these next Bellator cards. And we'll see how things go because, I, you know, we're only young once, yeah? Now, you've just said something there really interesting about proving yourself. Who are you trying to prove that to? Is it for you? Is it for your dad? Is that for, I don't know, for the island? What's your, who's your motivation behind? It's, it's you know, for, like people, they, they tend to want to prove things for other people. But for me, it's all for myself. You know, I really, I have to do it all for myself. I, I want to make my family proud, my, my island proud, my state proud. But in reality, we all, this is a selfish thing, you know. We've got to be selfish. If you do something for for other people, it doesn't, it's not the same. And that's it, really. I, I, I'm, I feel like I have so much more to prove, you know. I've, I've accomplished some things, but I've never, I'm not even close to satisfied. I know I can do so much more. And I just look forward to being able to do more when this is all over. Now, with your MMA training, are you still training in the gear at all? Yeah. So, honestly... Uh, I'm lucky that I have my brother here who's, a, you know, he's a blue belt and I have a couple 
guys here. That I have this guy that lives on my property who's a purple bell, and uh, my dad is very tough. So we've been getting together, and we've been doing a couple, you know, secret trainings. I haven't taken too many videos or anything, but last night I got my brother together and we trained a little bit. It was nice. Now, that was something I wanted to touch on as well. Obviously, being, you know, a black belt, very experienced, how would you like to roll with lower belts? Is it always, you know, you got to smash them? Is it, do you play with stuff? Do you try different things? Yeah, you know what? I, I was actually, that's something that pops into my head all the time. I, I end up trying, like, catching myself. I go, you got to take it easy. Put, put, put yourself in a bad position, you know, because sometimes you roll with these blue belts or purple belts and you see that they have a really good position because, I remember as me as a blue belt, I only had really like one position. It was my guard. When I got to the guard, I put the guy in the lasso and I had a really good lasso guard. So for me now as a black belt, I try to train with these guys and feel their best position, you know. And when I feel their best position, I try to um, to go into it, you know. And, and help, of course, that helps them. That helps their position. And for me it makes the best training for me. So like, for example, last night I was training with this blue belt and he has a good De La Hiva guard. He's a good open De La Hiva. So for me, I let him put the De La Hiva in and I let him start practicing the moves. I let him, he tried to do like a Baron Bowl on me and I defend the Baron Bowl and take his back, you know? So, so next time he's going to be aware that he goes for a Baron Bowl sloppy. I'm going to, you know, he's going to get his back taken. Just stuff like that where I, when I train with these guys, I try to let them do their best positions because if, if I just, do my best positions, they're going to have a hard time, you know? And that brings me on to another point. Because I remember when we first rolled, the first thing did was Baron Bolo me, and I went on a washing machine, and that's what it felt like, and then just got choked out. But when it comes to your MMA training, obviously the MMA jiu-jitsu is a lot more, you know, old school, top pressure, that kind of game. Has training MMA affected your... Totally. Has, has MMA affected your gi training as such? Have you changed the way you roll? You know what? I, I feel like... I think gi training, I tend to really rely on my grips. I like, I really like to make grips when I have my gi on. You know, I'm, I like to, to to use the lasso guard. I like to do some, you know, play around a little bit. So when I started doing this MMA training with the gloves on, and I'm trying to um, hold on to somebody, and you don't have grips, it's a whole nother thing, you know. So my my gi training for this last year when i was i really kind of when i was doing mma for the last six months i kind of totally took it off and i was just doing no gi and practicing with when i was doing no gi i was using gloves and being honest there some crazy scrambles still happen <laughs> i was still doing i was still getting underneath guys and be like well what am i doing i can't be getting underneath this guy's gonna be able to punch me in my head here so I had to catch myself sometimes and start thinking. I had some very good coaches. You know, I told you I was able to train with um, Alan Goy. So for them, they would they really gave me some good pointers and showed me, like, uh, we did a lot of specific training. So in the specific training, it really, like, um, got in my head what I wanted to do right away. In the specific training, like, throw a couple combos and get right into the takedown, you know, and from the takedown practice, getting the guy down and getting into a good position, the guy turns to the back choke and the guy gives you the mount triangle and just very simple things, you know, trying to keep it simple because in an MMA fight, things get slippery and next, you know, you slip off the guy, the guy's on top of you and you're getting punched in the face and things can change so quick in a fight, you know. So I was really trying to just listen to my coaches and yeah, that was it. 
Who programmed your um, fight camp? Who like did your routine? Was it all you? Is it your coaches? Did you have any sort of structure, roughly? No. So, so the I had a. It wasn't just one person, but I I had really like two people that were really in in charge. Um, Samori, who's the owner of Ruka, he's somebody who has been supporting me since 2014, and he really um. You know, he's like a second father to me. He's taking care of me, let me stay in his house and, you know, fed me and gave me clothes and literally everything, you know. But he really put these people into my life that, you know, he, he put carnage in there that helped me with the, my Muay Thai. He brought Alan with the Muay with the Jitsu. And he um, he put all these people, uh, Daryl Christensen, who was on the Olympic team for uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, you know. So I had all these guys that were teaching him that Pat said that everything was because of him. She was the guy I would say that would um, set up all my training for me. And Nathan Carnage was my head trainer. He spent most of the time with me, he spent hours. He helped me with my physical physical conditioning. Based together, he pushed me on the rover and running up, you know, and all kinds of stuff. So I had a Pat Tenori was the, I would say the guy who coordinated my camp, who set me up. And um, Austin Armour, too, who support my brother. He was an, another guy who was, like, a huge, huge help and everything. But in regards to training, it was Pat Tenori and Alan and uh, Nathan Carnage. Now, here's a question that I think a lot of guys tend to ask is, how would you advise transitioning from jiu-jitsu into MMA? What things have you picked up as, you know, habits you had or... You know, what, what would you give advice to someone who's in your position of jiu-jitsu background, wants to start MMA? Um, you know, for me, especially the way that jiu-jitsu has changed so much. Like, uh, of course, jiu-jitsu is better than it was 10 years ago. But how this modern jiu-jitsu relies on, you know, Bambolo and coming underneath the guy and using lapels and all this. It, it has changed kind of in my opinion, to working in a in a street fight, you know? Like, back in the day, they would say, like, in my dad, you know, in the early 90s and stuff, like, a, a purple belt or a blue belt, a guy was, like, a superhero, you know what I mean? Like, he could go out to the bar, and somebody would try to beat him up, and he'd beat up anyone. He wouldn't have, you know? But nowadays, a black belt goes out to the bar and gets beat up. This jiu-jitsu doesn't transfer. It's not. It doesn't work on the streets anymore. Like I'm gonna go pull Delhi Hippa guard on the street. You know, Fair like it's, it's different. It's, exactly. I'm gonna Baron Bolo on the street. It doesn't work. So jiu-jitsu has kind of changed from a self-defense martial art to more of a sport. So what I would um, what I would give as advice to somebody who is a jiu-jitsu guy who who has aspirations to fight MMA. It would be really to have um, to practice your basics and make sure you have defense down. You need to really know your self-defense and um, train a lot, a lot of boxing and train a lot of stand-up to be able to do your jiu-jitsu. You know, for me, I still am I'm not confident enough to go inside. To, like I was saying, to get into like a firefight and start trying to throw punches, someone get punched in my face and get knocked out. I want to be able to use my striking to be able to make the guy, you know, to close the distance and then do my jiu-jitsu on the guy. And that's something that I really 
have I want to get better and better at to be able to do my jiu-jitsu. You know, I don't want to get better at striking to strike. I want to get better at striking to do my jiu-jitsu. How did you first find sparring and stuff? Like obviously, going from purely grappling to getting hit in the face. How was? How did you find that? Yeah, it was hard. I'll, I'll tell you now. Like I um, I I uh, I kind of eased into it. I had a couple guys that were like my friends, and I was sparring with. And as you know, there's a big difference when you spar with a friend or somebody you don't know, you know. So I was sparring with my friends and like in the beginning, um, you know, we were going easy and my coach is watching. He's like, oh, you guys are really punching that hard, you know what I mean? So like I was trying to punch him, but I'm, I'm looking back in the video. I'm like, well, I guess I really wasn't punching that hard. You know, these punches are coming slow. So my, um, my other coach, uh, Master Alan Goyce, he ended up bringing me to King's MMA. And I ended up going to King's MMA, and that's where Rafael Cordero is. And um, I was there my first day sparring there. You know, it's like, as you know, you, you show up to a new jiu-jitsu gym. You know the feeling where it's like guys are just licking their lips, like, oh, who's this guy coming? I can't wait to train with him, you know? So MMA, it's like the same. It's the same thing. It's the fresh meat. So these guys see, and they're just like licking their lips, like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to freaking beat this guy up, you know? And so we started our first sparring, and the first 30 seconds, Master Rafael Cordero comes over and says, oh, here, go with this guy. So I was about to spar with this guy, and they switched me and put me with this girl. Her name is um, Sabina, Sabina Mazo. She's in the UFC. And um, next thing you know, I'm going with this girl, and she starts kicking my legs. I'm like, kicking my legs. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to hit her back? I, I didn't know what to do, you know? And um, – this girl kind of, she really beat me up, you know, the, the first, the first round of sparring. And after that, I, you know, the second round I got beat up again and it's just the, the sparring wasn't easy and it really made the fight easy. You know, they say that train hard, fight easy. And, and that was a real thing. I mean, that was the thing I spoke about on my, like one of my recent podcasts was with a girl who's went into training and she started competing and now she's um, like an amateur champion and all this kind of stuff. But when girls first get into MMA, that whole sparring dynamic is always really awkward of, you know, how hard should you hit a girl? Because, you know, as you're normally raised, you shouldn't hit girls full stop. So when they're asking you to hit them, you think, how hard should I hit them? And the whole thing oh, no, so it, awkward. It, it, was a, it was very, very awkward because it was my first day in the gym and I just met everybody. And then Master Rafael Cordero puts me with the girl for my first sparring. So then I didn't, I really didn't know what to do. It's like, now do I go like even easier? Because the girl's like, I don't like, I didn't know what to do. Like, do I hit her? Do I, what do I do? You know? So the girl beat me up. Let's be honest. You know, it was on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My, she kicked me like right on my IT band, like so many times mm. that I was like limping for a couple of days, you know? But after that, I learned a lot. I was like, after those kicks, like I need to go home and practice my how to check a kick because this this girl's gonna do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was good. It was a good learning experience. I'm very grateful for her. And um, the, those days that at Kings MMA, I ended up going there three days for sparring, three three separate Fridays. And um, each one, each time I went, the guys got nicer, and they were very nice and and you know they open arms to me and made me feel good and those days there made the fight very easy and so i'm very grateful for the training i had did the girls stop beating you up or they start playing nice to you 
Yeah, you know what? The girl, she was nice to me after. I think she was just testing me, <laughs> seeing if I'd come back. That's it. Um, one thing you mentioned before we got into this a lot more, you were saying your injury was the reason you started like MMA and really got into everything else. But was that the same injury you had when you had a match with Gary Tonin? Was that the same? No. So actually, um, when I had the match with Gary Tonin, I was injured before. I, I didn't get, like, I was hurt already, but I was kind of, like, in denial. I didn't want to, like, admit it that I was hurt, you know? So then when I fought the Gary Tonin, it um it, it aggravated it, and I was really, like, that was the final straw. I was like, okay, now I'm, I know that I'm hurt. And I did the MRI, and it was a, I had a fully torn ACL when I fought Gary Tonin already. Like, like, it didn't tear when it was with him. It was already fully torn. And, um... You know, some people can live without a full, some people can live without an ACL. You know, like I know people that don't have one, but for me, the way that like it attached back to itself, it wasn't, wasn't working for me. I was, my leg was locking up and it was shot. So I ended up um, fixing that. And this injury that I had on this year, this new one that I had was actually on my other leg. It was on my right knee. The ACL surgery was on my left knee. So on my right knee, it was on the PCL, which is on the inside of your knee. And um, I did the MRI, and the doctor said it was like a um, – it wasn't like a total tear, but it was like when you um, like stretch something very much, it, it, was, it was about to tear, you know, like right before the tear when it's all stretched. So they called it a grade three sprain. Ugh. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I – got, I got unlucky. Oh, God. Keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's a bit of a delay. No, no, no. We're good. I just, it's part of the program. You know, you know how it is with training. It, injuries happen so quick. And um, every time I've got an injury, it's turned into like, in the beginning, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bummer. You know, you're not, you're not stoked about it. But I think every time I've gotten injured, in reality, it's been a blessing because it's been able for me to learn my body better. And I, I, um, I get, I'm able to get stronger. I strengthen myself. I learn how to not get hurt again because it's until you get hurt, you don't know that you can get hurt. You know, like I, I hurt myself in the dumbest ways. So I want to talk, touch on a few things there. So obviously when obviously you're injured, you can't then train. So from jujitsu being your life 24 seven to then having to stop, how did you deal with that? Like in your own time and everything else? Cause obviously everyone now in quarantine can't train and they're losing their minds. What did you do to really deal with your time off? Uh, let's be real. Like, it's a hard – life revolves around something and it gets taken away. It's not – you stopped, you know. But um, what makes it even harder is when you, you take yourself comfort zone. So, for me, I'm born and raised here on Kauai on an island. You know, it's beautiful weather. There's waves, surf. It's, it's a lot of nature. So every time I've ever, um, like when I go on like a training camp, like I, I made the sacrifice in my mind, like okay, I'm making the sacrifice. I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to go train because I want to I be successful. I want to train with the best guys and I want to compete. Like I was in Miami and I, and the doctor told me, you know, it's going to be six to eight months, no training, you know, you have ACL surgery. And, and when I, I did the surgery and you think six to eight months, it doesn't seem too bad. But when you do the surgery and you're on your second month of no training and you're like, oh, my gosh, like you start getting depressed, you know, and it's, it's a hard thing when you when you don't go outside and you don't 
be in nature and you're not able to be active. So I, when I see these people now in quarantine and that's something that people are talking about, they're not talking about the depression, you know, there's mental, you know, like when you're stuck at home, not doing, it's hard. It's easy to, to get sad and be thinking about your problems. You know, people don't have work right now. They're not staying busy. They're not, you know, they're not um, making that serotonin from working out and all this stuff. So it's, it's very important, I think, to sweat. I think it's important to, to be inside if possible. Of course, everyone, depending on where you are, there's different rules with this lockdown and the coronavirus. But if possible, I think it's very important that to be out in nature, you know, or at least be out in the night. Like my friend was saying that um, if you can't go outside, stand in front of your window, you know, and get some sun because it's very important. 100%. And this is really what I wanted to touch on because obviously people are getting it almost for the first time where they've been in jiu-jitsu or whatever they're doing and then for it to be taken away just almost unthinkable whereas obviously you've been there before not for the same sort of situation but you've got experience with life outside of jiu-jitsu and also as we said at the start like your crazy day-to-day stuff of whatever you're doing sort of hiking or you know surfing or whatever else it is so that's like so from being you know you know this island kid you know, in, in loving nature and everything else to then stuck at home watching netflix is quite a big transition yeah and, and that's the thing like i've been home for two months now the only documentary like i don't really watch tv like i watched tiger king you know <laughs> everyone was talking about tiger king on netflix so i watched that and then I've been watching that uh, Michael Jordan Last Dance. But besides that, like I don't watch TV. You know, I'm home. I'm barely home. I'm I'm outside a lot. Like right now, the skies are blue. Like at, this morning, I woke up at seven in the morning. The tide was low. I went and got a brand new snorkel. Went diving for shells. Got a bunch of shells and, and things like that. Like a, a good little workout. Like um, last weekend, I went hunting. You know, I, I've been running the beach every day. I've been I've been training jiu-jitsu a little bit. I've, I've been hitting mitts. I have this guy that lives on my property that I said that's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. He, well, he also knows how to hold the mitts, so he's been holding the mitts for me a couple of days a week. And it's been good, you know. It's been nice to um, – we have no tourists on the island, you know. 90% of um, money that comes into Hawaii is through tourism. So every day we have helicopter tours. Every day we have boat tours. Right now there's no helicopters. So all day long – the, there's a no noise in the sky. It's beautiful. Like, it's something crazy that we kind of you don't notice, but on a normal day, there's helicopters all day long. All these helicopters. So it's really nice right now. It's a beautiful time. No one's ever seen anything like this. You know, there's no tourists. Beautiful weather, and um, there's a lot of positives to this coronavirus. Coronavirus. And that's certainly something to really take into account. And also now I know I need to come and visit you straight away because this sounds absolutely incredible. And it's, as you as you notice, London totally. and England is quite as exciting as um Kauai and Hawaii. It's very different. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? For me, it was always a dream to go to um to Europe and be able to experience these places. And I, and I can't wait to go back to uh, um you know, experience more. And, and that time I had in London was so nice. You know, I'm very grateful. Um, Mr. Boris, you know, from Poland, he brought me over there and I was able to go. Uh, he, um, he has a very big respect, you know, for like I do for Hodger Gracie, but he really wanted to 
Academy. So I, I went over there and I was very grateful to meet you guys, you know, and get to meet uh, Max and Mauricio. It was such an honor to be able to take a class from him. And, um, you know, the weather's different over there in London, mm -hmm. huh? It's great. Very, very different. Driving yeah. the other side of the road. <laughs> it's rainy, though. So it's, like, right now, it, it hasn't been that rainy, but Kauai is one of the wettest places on earth. So really? you wouldn't, if it rained over here, you guys wouldn't mind too much. Oh, man. Um, so again, there's so much to sort of take from that. I mean, like Mauricio and um, Hodja being in the UK, we're really lucky for that as well. It's so underappreciated, that kind of jiu-jitsu, like royalty, right on our doorstep. But talk us through how Literally, you met like, in the first uh, place. Like, how come Boris and Poland and you and Kauai you know, met each other? Yes, that's a crazy story. You know, like, I actually um, was um, lucky enough to be in Miami, and I lived in Miami from when I was 16 years old to about 21, 22. 22 years old is when I moved back home to Kauai. But um, in Miami, I actually met Boris, and um, Boris, for some reason, I don't know what it is, like, I'm from Hawaii, but uh, for some reason, I thought people in Europe, if they travel, I was something in my head, like, oh, this guy is traveling in America, he must have money, you know? So, Boris is in Miami, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this guy, like, I don't know much about Europe, you know, like, I um, dropped out of school when I was 16, I got my GED, I started training just jiu-jitsu, so I didn't really, you know, keep going at the history and stuff, you know, economy, so I didn't, I didn't know that Poland is one of the poor countries in Europe, how they don't have the, the um, euro, you know, like, the money is less, so from Mr. When he would come to Miami, just for him to come to Miami, he would save his money all year long so he could buy a ticket. And he had this friend in New York, and he would go to New York and work there for one month as a construction worker with a bunch of Mexicans and all these guys that would work for cash. And he would save his money to be able to come to Miami and live in an Airbnb for a month or rent a room from somebody and train because that's how much he loved jujitsu, you know? So he came up. My first time I met Mr. Boris, he wanted to do private brown belt. He um he really liked my jujitsu, and so he um he did privates, and he and I charged him, you know, because he was just some guy that I just met. And then second time that he came, to, he came again, like about eight months later, ten months later or something, and he offered for me to work out. He's like, oh, do you want to work out with me? Because the first time he came. I worked out with him a little bit because he was so knowledgeable and working out. And the second time when he came, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, this guy, is, he's my friend. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just, just some random guy. Like, he's some guy that he's coming and he wants to train with me because he likes me. And we were hanging out so much. For me, he was my friend. So we, um, we started working out together. And I told him in the beginning of the time, I was like, hey, Mr. Bruce, you train me because he was like a personal trainer. I was like, you train me and I'll give you private lessons. And he was like, okay, you know, it sounds good. So we started training together. And at the end of the two weeks, we did about, I want to say like um, 15 private lessons, you know, and maybe like two and a half weeks because we did private lessons every day. And he came and he had he handed me this money. I'm like, oh, Mr. Boris, I told you that we traded, you know, you, you taught personal training and I taught you jiu-jitsu and he's like, oh, I, just, I was just testing you. I just wanted to take the money, you know? <laughs> so, 
you're, he's a different guy, you know, but he became one of my good friends. And after that, I ended up moving home to Hawaii and we kept in contact and um, he invited me to Poland. So he invited me to Poland and I ended up spending um, six weeks with him over there. And it was a very, very so well. And um, for, for the time I had, I got to experience and learn a new culture. Shout out, Mr. Boris. If anyone doesn't know Mr. Boris, he is very tall, he's very scary, and he's very nice. He is the most muscular man in jiu-jitsu, I think. He's just six foot five, I think, and he's just built, you know, (laughs) big. But he's just so friendly. He's He's, He's just so nice. He's a scary guy. Yeah, he is. And it's funny, Mr. Boris is a good nickname, too, you know? It's a scary one. When you think of Mr. Boris, you think of a scary guy. That's it. Whatever you think after hearing Mr. Boris is probably right. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, man. Listen, I really appreciate all your time taking out for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Um, You know, um, I've been trying to stay active on Instagram at Hunter Kawhi, but that's pretty much it. Well, I don't think I'm going to be starting a TikTok anytime soon, so that'll be it. Thank you for listening, guys. And this episode has been sponsored by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout on MaulerMMA.com for 20% off on all products.